Welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, where Weaver professionals talk about business and accounting. We'll explore a wide variety of topics from tax law and accounting standard changes to managing cyber, fraud, financial, and operational risks. What do these issues mean to your business? Join us as we go beyond the numbers to find out. Manufacturing and distribution companies have certainly felt the effects of COVID-19, with many businesses overwhelmed by the significant swings in today's supply and demand. For this edition of Weavers Beyond the Numbers, we'll engage in a panel discussion with CFOs of manufacturing and distribution companies and discuss the impact of COVID-19 and the post-pandemic outlook. Our conversation will explore how these CFOs are adapting quickly during uncertainty, and we'll also cover tips to remaining responsive to client needs in the face of continued change. This roundtable discussion is hosted by Brad Jay, Weaver's partner in charge of manufacturing and distribution services. Joining Brad is Frank Sinatel, CFO of Abatix, Vince Rulo, CFO of Howard Supply Company, and Matt Nafziger, CFO of Royal Manufacturing. We're really excited about uh, being able to uh, bring you guys uh, what I think is some very interesting topics this morning. We are really looking forward to kind of getting some insights from uh, Frank, Vince, and Matt in terms of how their companies have dealt with a lot of the things that have been going on the last seven months. We're just going to kind of jump right into it. And uh, uh, Vince, all of us have really been affected in some way by COVID-19, some positively, some negatively. Many, many companies have felt the impact of COVID-19 and the strain it put on their lending relationships. Discuss your company's strategy in regards to addressing these challenges over the past seven months. Yeah, thanks, Brad, for the, for the question. Well, I can tell you from, from a lending perspective, uh, we're involved in an asset-based lending environment at Howard Supply. So we are uh, a company that's heavily relying upon, uh, one, our accounts receivable, and two, our inventory. And during this process, one of the um, strategies that we've worked with closely with our lender is really um, about transparency. I mean, th- there, there is no news that's really unheard from from our lenders when they know about COVID-19 and the impact it's having on uh, not only the customer base, but the pull through in your inventory and certainly the impact on accounts receivable. We took the time to work with our bank and and fortunately or unfortunately, we found ourselves um, in the midst of our negotiations for our new line of credit actually during the middle of COVID, which in some ways was a positive. And why I say that is uh, we were uh, in the process of right-sizing our business and addressing not only our cash needs, but certainly our vendor and customer needs along the way. And our bank, frankly, found that to be very attractive that uh, we saw COVID as um, something that was obviously detrimental to our to our business. But at the same time, um, when you're dealt lemons, you, you got to make lemonade in this case. So we took the opportunity to uh, be as transparent as we can with our um, with our lender, which I think at the end of the day, uh, bared a lot of fruit because our negotiations turned out to be um, very positive in a sense that they see our treatment of our receivables as something uh, critically important, not only for ourselves, but for the bank. And in doing that, we talk to a lot of customers around their partnership with us when they don't pay the bill and the knock-on effect. And I can tell you, just by um, opening that door, we found that relationship between the customer 
the vendor and the bank to frankly move forward in a very positive way. So um, frankly, lending is a very um, demanding area, but frankly, um, I think we were able to get out in front of it early. Yeah, that's great. It's good to hear. Frank or Matt, you guys have any perspectives on that? <laughs> uh, anyway, back in 2008, when we had the financial crisis, we've always been a very conservative company with low leverage. Uh, but at that time, uh, we went to our bank and we worked out a, a, a reasonable, uh, basically lowering of our covenants. And, and those have continued to today. So when, when this hit, when this, uh, we got into this environment, uh, we were already in a position with our bank uh, with low leverage and, and with, with reasonable covenants that we didn't really have to do much. Uh, we did consider and we looked at it, but but we were in, we are we determined that we were in good shape. Yeah, and we were in a similar boat as Frank. We had just uh, we had just updated our agreement with our bank about a year ago, and you know had covenants that were uh, workable for us, and and really didn't have any issues as we were coming into this. So we were very fortunate in that regard. Obviously, I think everybody's familiar with the uh, the PPP loans that came out through the stimulus. Many organizations obviously took advantage of that. So just curious to hear your perspective, Frank, on, you know, whether or not you participated in that and what the results of that were. Yeah. So when it when it first came out, uh, boy, it sounded like a, a great a great deal for us. And so we uh, let me give you a little background. We're in the PPP business. So we sell PPP predominantly to contractors and to manufacturing. The first part of the year was was going well for us. And of course, when COVID hit, everybody was coming out of the woodwork looking for PPE uh, to the point where we actually had to kind of ration it to our to our customers because they were ordering uh, effectively you know historical one year supplies from us you know in in the span of a month and we we the problem we had was on the other end with the supply chain which we'll get into I think a little bit later uh, was uh, like for example when when uh, President Trump enforced the the Defense Production Act and geared all of 3M's uh, mask production to go towards uh, healthcare. That really impacted us because we don't sell much to the healthcare. Anyway, we thought about it and, and we did. We uh, we uh, we actually applied, uh, got approved, and got funded. And uh, about two or three days before we got funded was when they started coming out and talking about uh, all the negative sides of the PPP loan, uh, the audits, you know, the government kind of you know determining whether or not you know what should happen, whether it's going to be forgiven or not forgiven, and, and basically getting into your business. And that's when our ownership group got together and said, look, we don't need the cash right now. It's, it's open for a period of time that if we actually felt like we needed it, we could go get it again. So we actually repaid the loan the same week we got it. I think we got it on Tuesday and we, we, we repaid the loan on Friday uh, just because our ownership group didn't want the government coming in and telling us how to run our business and what we yeah. can do. Vince uh, or Matt, your perspective? Well, we did receive the loan and uh, we took a kind of a, a different view of it. Uh, we saw it as an opportunity that um, it, it was a backdrop. We're in the oil and gas services business, obviously. And during, obviously, the start of COVID, we also saw the price of oil uh, take a dip substantially. 
So we, we frankly leaned into this with an open mindset that uh, we wanted to see what the PPP was about. And we felt that um, where we were in our business cycle, that we had an opportunity that we really wanted to seize on that to um, obviously retain as many employees as we could. And in, we have about 13 locations across the country that and many of them are leased. And we wanted to take the opportunity to at least consider that money as something that would support us through uh, the tough days ahead. Uh, fortunately, um, through all the other mitigating work that we've been doing, uh, we've got the PPP loan, but um, frankly, we haven't had to use uh, the majority of it, which has been a, a positive. And, and frankly, it's it's very critical to us. We watch it because we really don't know what's around the corner. So we're, uh, we're certainly um, aware that the future is going to be um, probably uh, more turbulent than what we expected originally. But the uh, PPP loan certainly helps to calm some of the jitters in the background. Right. Yeah. You guys obviously dealing in the oil and gas market is kind of what I call the double dip. You know, <laughs> with the pandemic going on, plus the oil and gas at the same time is very, very difficult situation. So obviously those funds were very important to you guys. Matt, what about you guys? Uh, we we did not take advantage of PPP. We're we're private equity owned, and so as a result, or we're not eligible. Yep. Uh, which we you know we did some investigation on. Now we did we have taken advantage, which I assume everybody else has of uh, you know the payroll tax deferral and the credits available as people are out uh, either getting a COVID diagnosis or out with COVID itself through the FFCRA, and you know those have provided liquidity for us and I'm sure many others as well albeit slowly, right? But it's been consistent. Um, and so we did take advantage of that, which I'm, I'm sure many others did as well. Yeah, that's great. You know, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, we've heard talks of maybe another round of stimulus coming. Can maybe talk a little bit about from your company's perspective, how important you think that potentially could be? I think it's a little early to, to that's just my personal opinion is I think it might be a little early to tell whether we need a round of stimulus or not. You know, interest rates are already effectively as low as they're going to go. And so I do think one thing that's obviously very important for just about every industry is they got to keep people employed. And so uh, anything that that would come around should be focused on, you know, keeping people in jobs or keeping people at work as opposed to any other type of stimulus that might come around. I, I, I agree. I think it's a, a little bit early. You know, I, I think we're we're in the position of uh, Abatex is in the position of we, we probably wouldn't take it again. Uh, one, because what we've again, uh, uh, Vince mentioned it, we don't really know where we're headed and, and we could end up with uh, with another kind of another dip downward. You know, for us at Abatex, we our lowest month was in May. And since May, we've seen our sales increase each month since then, uh, albeit slowly, and we're not back to where we were before, but at least we're, we're moving in the right direction and we're profitable. Uh, and again, we have, we have cash in the bank, our receivables are all good. So we, at this point, if it came out today, we probably wouldn't take it again just because of the government interference. You know, we've been able to, to maintain all of our employees uh, with very little bring that we've had to do so far. That's great. Well, I would say this, at this point, uh, the door is wide open. Uh, from our discussions with our bank, um, we've always treated our bank as a partner. So uh, we discuss with them quite often what a, you know, a second round would look like. 
And in fact, um, during the initial round spread, they, they were um, quite complimentary around the idea of going to get the money, especially with a watchful eye on the, uh, the idea that these loans could be potentially forgiven. And um, so we're, we're kind of looking at this with um, no predetermined decision from a standpoint. We're, we're going to take it one day at a time. And, and if there's an opportunity that really, frankly, um, looks like it'll be a good fit for us, again, if there's a forgiveness segment within this, we'll probably take a long look at that and, um, and try to make a decision based upon uh, growing this business back from where it is today to where it was pre-COVID. And hopefully, uh, if we need COVID, it'll be there for us from a PPP perspective. We'll be able to uh, lean on that again. That's, those are great perspectives. I think, you know, you know, you hear talk now that are we obviously got an election coming up. So there's a lot of trepidation about that. What's going to happen with that in the markets? And, you know, I think there's also been talk and depending on what pockets you're in, I know in, in our areas here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, that the COVID numbers are beginning to, to creep back up. Like there's fears that we might have another, I don't know that we'll ever see another shutdown, but there's talks about the numbers getting to that stage again. So I think in light of that, and, and we'll kind of see where things end up, another round could be uh, needed uh, going forward. But I guess time will tell. Just, just as 2020 in general, time will tell, right? We'll, we'll see yeah. how end up going here. So Frank, maybe talk a little bit about with all the economic closures early on, with COVID, many businesses kind of felt the pinch of clients who were maybe unable to pay invoices or there was trepidation that that was going to be an issue, requesting extended payment terms and all that kind of stuff. Did your organization experience any of those types of challenges and, and what steps did you guys take to overcome them? Yeah, we cringed at the day that because, you know, what you do on the payable side is what your customers are going to do to you. So uh, yeah. we worked very hard uh, to try on uh, just because of the uncertainty to try to get extended payment terms from our vendors, uh, and and again, most of the uh, most of them were very uh, very good to us, and, and we've had long term partnerships with them. So uh, that was a great thing. On the other, on the flip side, we had our customers coming to us, uh, not a bunch of them, but uh, certainly some of the bigger ones, um, and asking for extended terms. And um, you know, we we one thing is we feel very blessed in that we're fairly conservatively run company with with cash in the bank so we felt like we could we could afford to do that we got really uh, we focused our, our accounts receivable group and it actually included uh, the CEO and myself uh, making some calls to customers to really try to keep our AR on track so even if when we ended terms if uh, if we were getting close to those terms we were on the phone with our customers saying now remember we we talked about this and and we've got it you know for us to continue to provide services to you and product to you you've got to help us out here too and so that's uh that has been what's worked for us is just that going back to the time of what vince said is the transparency with our customer base it's just really you know working with them as a partner and, and again, some of them see us as a partner, some of them maybe not. Uh, but anyway, we worked really hard with them in, in trying to communicate with them what our needs were uh, and how that impacted them. And that has worked very well for us in terms of our accounts receivable. We had, interestingly, we had a mechanism in place that was already good for this process, which we call at risk, which is we, we look at every two weeks, we look at um, anything that we that is over 90 days old, and we designate that as being at, something that's at risk, and that goes uh, that goes out to our entire executive management team, and we review it. And what we added when COVID first started was, 
hey, these are the ones that are going to be on the next report, you know, that are coming close to at risk and are going to be on the next report if we don't jump on them. Yeah. Uh, and certainly we were more worried about, you know, one group of our of our customer base being the contractor side of the customer base, you know, versus the builder side as builders tend to be more they tend to be more well-financed than the contractor side of the business does. And so we were trying to be a lot closer to our contractor customers from the very beginning and telling them we'd help them and we'd be there. We just needed to be, they need to be communicative with us and let us know what was going on. Yeah, no, that's funny. That's vital. That open communications. That's what about you guys? Absolutely. I, I would say our, our customer base um, shined through in a very positive way. I, I would tell you since COVID's impacted us. Uh, we watched some very critical metrics and one metric that uh, has never spiked up. It's never even moved since the day this started. We've put no customers on hold. And we have found that uh, by not doing that simple action and frankly, opening the dialogue early and keeping it open, we believe it'll pay dividends in the end. And it is. We're, we're seeing those customers who uh, originally engaged with us on their concerns. Uh, they had an empathetic um, ear to frankly lean against as, as a supplier. And uh, we we tried never to waver from that. And, uh, and I don't believe we ever did. And um, I believe as this business continues to come back online, uh, we're seeing that. We're seeing customers letting us know how much they appreciate it when they were in the midst of this, that uh, we, we didn't uh, turn the tap off on them. And uh, we, we kept the dialogue alive. And uh, we think in the long run, it's a good thing for the uh, for the brand Howard Supply. Right. We're getting uh, a couple of questions that are coming in. So I want to just just uh, switch over to those real quick and, and get y'all's thoughts on on this. So in general, what were the, the payment terms when you when you extended this? Can you just kind of talk maybe a little bit about maybe a little bit more detail as to how you guys structured those? Basically, I'll speak of two two specific examples. One of our customers came in and they were clear up front. They wanted net 90 terms and they were historically net 30 terms. And, and they're one of our larger customers. And so we agreed to that. The only stipulation we put on that is that we would review it kind of at, a, at some point in the future so that it wasn't net 90 terms forever. The other one who, who again, I, we have a great relationship with uh, another customer, another large customer. They just called us up and said, what can you do? And, and for them, we just basically said, I, I basically said, how about net 60 days? And he was like, great, that sounds good. And they stuck to it. So again, they were a net 30 customer. Okay. So all we've done is just give them a little more time to pay it. We have had some large equipment orders that we've done where uh, these are kind of separate and above the extended terms on daily business, where we've given them uh, like six months to pay. And we had about a, a half million dollar order from a customer for equipment and we gave them just pay pay us one sixth a month for the next six months and uh, that's really all we've done and, and our customers again have as Vince said they've been very appreciative of anything we've given to them that's great one of the things that we did uh brad was we, we frankly did not go out and um, negotiate new terms we, we did not we, we talked to our customers so often that we said look just leave the terms in place stay in communication with us and we'll get through this together. So um, we didn't find ourselves moving a, you know, a 60 day payment to a 90 or we really kind of uh, stayed with the original terms because we felt we were going to go back there anyway, post COVID. So um, it was never punitive to anyone. We always felt that as long as the discussion is, is um, upfront and uh, it's consistent and we're engaged, 
again, we never put anyone on hold. There was no need to because everyone met the minimal standard of staying engaged. Yeah, and we, and we did something similar exactly uh, to what Vince is talking about. We didn't change any formal terms. We just talked to customers and said, hey, you know, tell us what's going on. Let's be in communication and we'll work with you. But we're not going to we're not going to change the terms and then go revisit it later because we're not sure how long this is going to go on, especially at the beginning. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think it just brings on the point. Everybody mentioned this. It's just the communication and, and we're all we're all in this together. Right. So we've all got to have a little give and take. Um, to get through it. And I think just having those open dialogues is really, really vital um, as we as we made our way through this. Talk to us a little bit. I know you guys are uh, being private equity backed. You know, what we're seeing uh, a really big uptick in, not just in the, not just in the manufacturing distribution industry, but just really across the board is the uptick in, in a lot of um, transactions, M&A activity. As a firm that's backed by PE, are you seeing this uptick as well? And, and what is the impact potentially to your organization? So interestingly enough, we had just completed a small acquisition uh, right before Christmas. And, um, you know, we're working on integrating that into, into our company. And, and, you know, the travel restrictions, especially initially uh, as COVID hit, were made that really difficult, right? Because we wanted to have people traveling there and, and we held that off for a while. And, you know, th- that made some, a few things we did difficult. We were three months in, so it, it would have been a lot worse. It had been, a, you know, a few weeks in, uh, obviously. But, you know, as I talked to our, our guys at our, at our ownership group, you know, they said, obviously, initially, at the end of the first quarter and early second quarter, you know, the M&A activity just dropped off the face of the earth. There was very little, right, to none. Yeah. Um, they said, you know, now it's come back. It's come back to near where what would be normal. They said it's not quite normal. You're seeing some things you would expect, like you're seeing some distressed sales, right? You have people who've struggled through this, especially who are in industries that are, you know, are hard, hard hit by, the, by this pandemic. They're also seeing, you know, but they said for the most part, some people who were already performing and were looking to go ahead and sell or went ahead and did so. And those who are having a hard time performing during this are probably going to wait a year and see what happens. You know, there there have been some private equity groups that have been, uh, th- this didn't affect our ownership group, but have been, they were concentrated in industries that are hard hit by the pandemic that have really struggled and have probably sold off some of their assets at, at, at lower than what they normally would uh, in order to you know, right size the ship, so to speak. Uh, and then there's been some other companies out there who, for example, there's some people who are in the chemical business, right? Who went ahead and made hand sanitizer that never did before, right? right. Uh, at the beginning, especially at the beginning of the pandemic and had wild increases in their revenue and profitability at the beginning of this. And some of them have wanted to try and trade and sell, you know, and, and do a transaction based off of that. So uh, th- there's a few of those out there as well. Very interesting. We've seen a lot of that type of activity where, you know, people were trying to make that shift and in, uh, in their manufacturing process, just to be able to, you know, somewhat capitalize, but also help during the, the trouble times. Right. So Frank, what about you guys? We've never been one that's gone out and done a lot of acquisitions, so so we haven't been uh, seeing it. But I will, you know, just kind of on a ancillary note, uh, in talking with our CEO, uh, he he and I both have seen a, an increase in the number of calls from uh, private mm-hmm. equity firms looking to make an investment or acquire us as a company. Uh, you know, we can't put a I don't have a I can't put my a number on it, but it's probably up fifty percent. You know, just oh, in the wow. number of calls we get. 
All right, so I'm going to transition a little bit more to the uh, employee engagement and just kind of some of the impacts there. So um, switching over to employee engagement, we've really seen some significant disruptions to most M&D companies' workforces throughout this when the majority were required to be on site, you know, in your warehouses, out in the field, wherever. It's hard to do some of that, obviously, in a remote environment. Obviously, I think the transition has shifted to more keeping the employees safe in, in those environments. It really has a new meaning because of what we're going through here with the pandemic. Matt, let me ask you this first. How, how has your company handled employees return to the office and or the warehouses? And, and how are you addressing the future demands of your workforce when, when safeguarding consumer and workforce health is, is priority number one? When this initially happened, of course, we transitioned everybody we could to working remotely, which was just about everybody, at least to some extent. I mean, I you know, and then we kind of rotated if, so we had very few people in our office. We have 20 in my finance group, and we tried to make sure we didn't have more than a couple people there at a time, especially at the beginning. Our HR department was fantastic at making sure they were up to speed on what all the CDC guidelines were, and we're taking temperatures of everybody coming into the building, and we stopped having people into the building, either vendor, you know, customers or suppliers, almost immediately. And, and what we've tried to do to transition people back now is, you know, people who had technology challenges at home, uh, we tried to bring them back first, but we also talked to people and said, hey, if you feel like you're at high risk, you know, either from health condition or from age, we have both of those, you know, and you want to continue to work remotely, we're going to work with you on that. You know, in the finance group, you tend to be half fairly paper intensive, right? So there's, you know, at least you have to come to the office to pick up paperwork on at least some sort of regular basis. And a lot of people were doing that early in the morning and they weren't, you know, weren't encountering other people. And so yeah. that's kind of how we've managed. And we have a little bit of a unique case because we, we had some flooding in our corporate office uh, last year during Imelda. And so we had people scattered from where they would have all been gathered in a fairly large room into other places in the building. And we've been working on trying to build a new building uh, down the street at where our culture marble plant is, where we've got some land. And we've been running into a lot of problems with the county getting that done. And ironically, you know, if we had everybody in sort of one big office or one big room, we probably would have been able to bring a lot less people back than we have because they're scattered around. Uh, now. So it's kind of interesting how that has worked out in our specific case. I would say we're, we're pretty much in the same vein as Matt. We have, we have always um, put our, uh, our employees and customers first in a sense that we, during um, obviously the last six months, we don't make a lot of, we always check with the customers. We don't go to see customers because frankly, it, we don't think it's the right thing to do unless they're comfortable with it. When it comes to our employees, obviously, it's the same thing. Um, we're, we're talking to our employees consistently about their impact, their personal needs on that. If one thing has come out of this, we've been able to at least at our corporate environment, demonstrate that we can work uh, remotely uh, for periods of time uh, with um, a limited amount of exposure. Uh, we can all drive to the headquarters if we need to, to pick something up. From a field perspective, unfortunately, we find a lot of folks that um, need to be on site, but there is a rotation mindset uh, that people are engaged at different cycles of the day and the week. So uh, I would say we're following as close to what Matt just described uh, for Howard Supply. 
We're, we're doing the same thing. Uh, we took everybody that could go remote and, and made them go remote and invested in technology or whatever solutions they needed to help them. We have, uh, of course, the, the, the operational folks, it's a little more difficult. You, you, you can't pick a you know, an order from from your house. You got to be in the warehouse. But we we try to rotate. We try to stagger shifts as much as we can. And it's it's been it's worked really well. I I feel like uh, on the corporate side, we have I think we have five people that are five out of forty that are in the office uh, on a, on a regular basis. So thirty five are working from home, and and for the most part, we you know we haven't skipped a beat, which has led us to basically say we're we're not planning to go back to the office until this flu season is over, which is March or April of next year. Now this could all change with a vaccine or something like that. But uh, well, I say a vaccine and the and the widely administration of a vaccine, right? Because we could have a vaccine tomorrow and, and nobody wants to take it because they're right. afraid of it. But yeah, so we don't plan to uh, to go back until then. And, and again, the best thing that we've done is, um, is, is just the communication. You know, we have a single point of, we have a single contact person for anything that's COVID related. And that's to make sure that we're applying a consistent message across the, the, the across our locations. So, and it's, it's just been, it's really been a great, uh, a great thing. And I, you know, again, I think in the, in the long run, it, I think we're going to have a, a segment of our group that doesn't want to come back to the office ever. And then there's going to be a lot of us, I think, in, and I'm kind of in the middle where, I'd like a kind of a hybrid model because it is kind of nice working from home sometimes, but I do miss the office and the camaraderie. Uh, and I think the one thing that's, that's really helped us, and I'm sure that Matt and Vince would agree, is that the biggest thing that's allowed us to, to kind of not skip a beat is the fact that most of our employees or a lot of our employees have a lot of tenure with the company. So they're they're known. Everybody knows them. The harder part's going to be over time as you have retirements, as you have, as you have people leave, and now you've got to bring new people on board. And how do they, you know, if they're working remotely, how do they meld in with your culture? And that's, that's our, I think that's going to be our biggest challenge over the next couple of years. That's, that's a great, uh, great point, Frank. I think even in our business, we're seeing that as being a, a significant challenge for, because we're, we continue, we're continuing to hire. So we've got, you know, those called the newer members of our team that are coming in might be, you know, even coming out of college, you know, maybe, maybe their first job. And so, how do you assimilate that person into your culture, getting them trained, all that kind of stuff in a virtual environment? It's very difficult. We, we did get a question that came through that I wanted to ask that's on this topic. So uh, the question is, historically, uh, they see an increase in product demand in the fall. And this year, they're having trouble finding or keeping labor due to the extended unemployment benefits and low incentives for employees to return. Are, you, are the panelists uh, having these same problems? And what are you doing to attract labor? I'll, I'll take that one first. It's interesting. It's kind of gone in waves. It was really hard to find people until probably I'd say August or September, when then there seemed to be a, a a wave of quite a few people who were looking for work. And then we kind of went into mid September into kind of October when there was very few people. It seemed like we were having a hard time finding people. And now we're back to the point again where there seems to be quite a few people answering the ads we've got up and the positions we're trying to fill and we're. We're getting a lot of activity uh, through our HR department around around people looking for work. So, and I'm not sure I can explain why that is, uh, but that is what's happened sort of in the last, let's say, three months. Prior to that, it was really difficult to find anybody for us anyway. Yeah, we're finding that um, folks that want to work 
obviously are answering the ads that we're putting out there. And um, we're frankly excited that, that we're, we're getting a solid positive feedback. And um, really when it comes to that population that doesn't want to work, uh, we've really not let it impact us. We, we, we've moved on to next batter up really. And um, we, we have found that to be um, something that's working for us for sure. We're in the same boat. We, we, we really haven't had, we haven't had that many positions to fill, but we, we also have not had a, uh, an extremely difficult time in getting uh, at least one qualified applicant out of the applicant pool. Sorry, I don't have any advice for, for your. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. That's, that's a, that's a tough one. It's, it's obviously going to be, especially the more seasonal type employees when you see that uh, this time of year, it's, that's going to be a challenge. So. So, Frank, here's a question just to, you know, maybe this is a little bit kind of going down a different road here, but you know, we're seeing many companies are starting to explore automation technologies, things like collaborative robotics, um, auto- autonomous materials movement, maybe industrial Internet of Things, things of that nature. Has your company researched any of these technologies and how do you think this will impact the future of the workforces in, the, in our industry? Yeah, it's interesting because we have not done a lot of, of research in that area. Most of our, you know, most of our focus uh, in terms of technology has been on the customer facing side. Uh, we're doing a little bit on the back end side, but really nothing in the, in the warehouse per se. You know, we, we use a wireless warehouse system. So it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's as automated as it kind of can be with the, with the use of personnel versus going to automated picking system. The other issue we have in, in that regard is, uh, we operate kind of with a fully stocked warehouse at each of our locations. So it's not like we have a central distribution hub uh, where you're picking thousands of orders. And, and, and so, you know, I, I looked at this actually last night and, and we probably on average pick 50 orders a day at each of our locations. So to invest in automated technology doesn't make a lot of sense at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that's going to change over time in the future. And as, and as we and we are looking at maybe going to a more centralized distribution network, but our focus at this point has been really on the customer-facing technology, uh, mobile apps, job site inventory kiosks, uh, you know RFID, those types of things that allow a customer to just like on a construction site, you know, you see those you see those big job boxes. They basically can walk in with RFID. They can walk in, pick up what they need, and walk out basically. The kind of the precursor to that would be to have a little kiosk there with an iPad where you punch in your employee number and you and you tell them what you you kind of say what you took and then you walk out. So we're we're investing heavily in those technologies now because we think that coming out of this environment, the customers are going to demand some some technology solutions from their vendors. Matter Vince, you guys give any thoughts on those these topics? Yeah, we're we're certainly focused on supporting our customers in a in a change in our environment, we do a lot of uh, services for our customers. And one of the areas that we've really focused on heavily from a CapEx perspective is really tooling up our service departments to um, do something we define as a uh, total quality service scenario on an iPad. So frankly, when they bring uh, a piece of equipment in that needs to be certified and repaired, 
we see that as an opportunity to create a portal and put everything out there for that customer that deals with that specific piece of equipment. And it's iPad friendly and it, it is extremely um, desirable by our, by our customer base when it comes to servicing them that we frankly have all of that information available for them, whether it's a certification they need or um, a warranty issue. Uh, we've put a lot of emphasis, uh, not only on the product side, but frankly on the service side to be prepared to help our customers more coming out of this. A lot of the things we focused on have been more around efficiency in production and its safety in production, for example. Uh, we've looked into things like uh, automated trimming. So we tr- as we trim uh, tubs, which is much more safe than, than other ways you can do it. And so those things were going on pre-COVID and they're still going on. Those have been the focus. I don't know that we've come across anything that that has changed our perspective uh, from a technology from from a COVID perspective. Yeah, very interesting. I think we're going to see obviously more and more of this. You know, especially in terms of you know, I mean, talking with the workforces and, and being in situations like we were, which nobody could have anticipated. Looking at, at things like this for just being agile as we go down the road. So it'll be interesting to see how that pace progress over the next few years. So I want to switch a little bit over to agility and innovation. You know, with Matt, with many markets facing unstable supply and demand challenges, it's become increasingly important for companies to be agile and change directions quickly. Discuss how uh, Royal has been impacted by supply and demand challenges over the past seven months, and your thoughts maybe on how this could continue to be a challenge going forward. From a supply perspective, you know, I'm sure a lot of people ran into this, one of our suppliers uh, was a big maker of face shields, which prior to this was not a big business. And then all of a sudden overnight was in huge business. They redirected a lot of their time to that. Uh, it caused some supply disruptions with the other products that we, that we needed. Uh, and so we had to adapt pretty quickly and, and, and be talking to them about, Hey, I, you know, geez, we know that uh, you guys have changed a little bit of your focus overnight, but uh, you got a bunch of other customers here that are going to need to going to need to have some of the other products you guys are making. And then from the yeah. customer perspective, you know, as, as this started going on initially in March and there was a lot of uncertainty, uh, our builder segment of the business, some of them said, hey, we're going to stop production on all houses that aren't sold. Or we're going to stop production altogether because we don't really know what's going to happen. And so we had to be really close to a lot of our customers. And we had our sales group who have obviously then couldn't go see all the customers, you know, talking to the customers on a regular basis on what's going on and getting as open. We spent even more time than we normally do communicating with our customers about, you know, what's the forecast and what does everybody think they're going to do? And, you know, fortunately, that was uh, mostly short-lived for most people and construction at least returned to a fairly normal pace uh, within about a month or two uh, mm-hmm. and has continued on, you know, since then. We, we didn't really see a lot of disruption in our supply chain, um, Brad. We, we, we frankly found that uh, we were in a good inventory position. I would say if there's one caveat, our, our vendors were um, certainly um, 
open to the idea, and in many cases it worked out fine, that we were able to return some inventory that was we, we defined as access, still good inventory, and we were able to come up with a creative idea of you know returning it and putting something on the, on the table for a two-for-one order or something that was creative to keep that supply chain robust and, and certainly moving in the right direction because we know the business is going to come back, but we certainly want to take um, this opportunity to get the right inventory on our shelves for our customers as they start to uh, come back online. Yeah, we, we faced a big disruption in our supply chain. Um, like I mentioned earlier, the Defense Production Act basically took all of 3M's mask production, which is a, they're a huge supplier for us, and, and moved it toward healthcare. And, and we sell a little bit into the healthcare market, but, but not much, mostly into the industrial and manufacturing markets. And so uh, we had very limited, very limited reputable supply, right? Because when that happens, everybody in, you know, and their grandmother comes out with a mask. And so anyway, when we start about a year ago, we have a subsidiary that imports some disposable clothing uh, from China. And about a year ago, we started looking for alternative sources because we were obviously 100% of it came from China. And, and then, of course, COVID hits and and that kind of, uh, you know, highlights the problem. And, and so now, you know, there's talk about bringing manufacturing back to the U.S., so we're we're looking at that as a, as a possibility. Um, the the bigger you know the, the kind of the, the two headed or the double edged sword here is that all the raw materials are still produced. Even if you manufacture the disposable clothing in the U.S., you still have to get your raw materials from China. So we've got to figure that one out too. But again, it's 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 uh, and that's what caused our decline in sales was really our supply chain disruption. April and May was uh, when we saw it, and it's again it's starting to come back, but. Uh, it's still uh, a good example is our subsidiary normally operates with about $3 million of inventory on hand. I think today they have a million and a half, right? So we've got half the inventory on hand. And, um, and basically what, what, you know, obviously the shipments have started coming from China. What's coming in is it's a cross dock situation where what's coming in is kind of going out. So uh, we believe it's going to take another six to nine months for us to kind of get back to normal, normal level. All the while, we're still looking for alternative sources uh, for these products. No, I think it's you know it's, that's interesting that you say that, Frank, because I think what this has caused a lot of companies to do. You know, I think in in terms of the the various tiers within the supply chain. So you know, obviously you have your tier ones that are you know your primaries, and then this has forced everybody to kind of look and and say, oh man, we really need to focus on if something like this is going to happen, a natural disaster, or whatever else, we need. Yeah. To we need to have this kind of already set up so we can we can kind of you know turn on a dime and be able to get, keep that supply chain coming in. So Frank, you kind of touched on this a little bit when, when you were talking about it. I think the question was coming in at the same time. They were just asking, where are you sourcing your raw material? I think you, you mentioned most of it's still really coming from China for you guys. Yeah, have you guys seen a shift maybe of looking more on the domestic side as well to find some of those products? Domestic in other countries, right? Okay. I mean. Vietnam, uh, Singapore, uh, Mexico, uh, you know, the, the, the downside to, well, at least the, like the down, the Mexico would be the logical choice because they're already manufacturing some of that. It's just, it's a cost issue, probably 25 to 30% more expensive uh, than it is coming out of China. But if, you know, if you need the product, you know, you need the product. And, and so, but yeah, we are going to, we're going to look at, we're going to actually look at trying to bring it back to the U.S., uh, that's going to be our, our first goal. 
Uh, but we're also going to be looking for other sources as well. Great. All right. So I'm going to kind of as a wrap up here, we're getting down close to the end of our time. We've got about five minutes left. I want to just kind of get y'all's thoughts on, you know, I hate to even say getting back to normal, but some, some sense of getting back to normal here and kind of maybe your outlook for your organization as, as we're trying to transition about it. Always, obviously, we always need to be thinking about the future. So just maybe talk a little bit about for your companies, kind of where that focus is on the future, you know, in terms of your people, your assets, the capabilities you're going to need as we, as we move forward. So Vince, why don't you, why don't you start for us? I would tell you the number one thing that we're really focused on at this point is leaning in on the idea of setting objectives. Help! I think folks really like to know that there's uh, there's an end game. There's something they're working towards. And uh, during this past six months, it, it kind of, kind of stopped. And it was really kind of just all hands on deck. And I think we're at a point now where we really want to reintroduce those objectives that are critical, not only to us as an employee of the company, but frankly, to, to the um, to our customers and our vendors. These objectives aren't meant to be significant as they would have been maybe in years past, but they are certainly meant to be a step functional change from where we are today. And um, as we start our 2021 planning cycle, it's, it's kind of fun to see people excited about setting objectives. To them, that's the sign that there's normality on the horizon, that they see life after this, and that it's okay to think about tomorrow in a way that's better than today. And uh, I, I, I'm thrilled that we're in that cycle. It's, it's, it really helps to pick up everyone's um, attention and move forward, um, whether they're working from home or from the office or in the field. Uh, setting objectives for everyone has been a, a real positive for us. Yeah, Brad, we're doing something very similar to what Vince just described. We're working on looking at what our objectives are for success and how do you define what those are and how are we going to measure what they are? And so we can communicate them and talk about, okay, which direction are we going? And and it's really developed from, you know, our 2021 planning process, like Vince said. Uh, and, and it seems like it's been great, especially um, even within our executive team. We said, boy, it's great to be focused on something other than what are we going to do tomorrow, right? To look farther in the horizon than how are we going to get through tomorrow or the next week uh, and not knowing what's coming around the corner is to be more planning than reacting, right? Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, and, and we're, we're very much in the same kind of the same realm. What do our customers expect from us going forward? How has that changed from where we were a year ago versus today versus you know a year from now? And, and really trying to hone in on, on what we can provide them going forward that, that, that you know, again, because our sale, most of our sales team is very old school, right? They want to go out and see the customer face to face, sit across the table from them, stuff like that. And, and, and I think there's, there's still, uh, there's an old commercial where the, the, the CEO gets up and his management team and he starts handing out airline tickets. And he's like, our, you know, our biggest customer fired us today because... He didn't know us and he hadn't seen us. And so we're going to go start seeing our customers. And, and so I think there's still a lot of physical, you know, just communication and touch that we need to have. But but we also want to be smart about it and utilize technology to extend our extend our reach. And so that's what our, our focus is on is how do we get through this and get and move forward uh, and be a better company for it. 
No, great, great thoughts, great perspectives. I think that's going to be key for all of us as we continue to, you know, just kind of look at the landscape, figure out what, 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 what can we control, what can we not, right? So there's obviously the topic today, kept talking about uncertainty and kind of how we've come through this and what we're looking at for the future. So I guess the key to all of it is, you know, we mentioned a few things. Communication is key. Vision is key. We've got to be looking down the road a little bit. We can't just get stuck on the next day, as, as Matt mentioned a minute ago. And really just collaborating and, and looking for opportunities that we can we can maximize on and get through this together. Uh, with that, we're going to pretty much at the end of our session, we're going to wrap things up here. I just want to thank everybody for being on the call today. I want to thank all of our panelists, Frank, Matt, and Vince for, for joining us and being willing to do this. We really appreciate your time and your insights. We appreciate your participation and I hope everybody has a great day. Thanks, everyone. Thank, thank you. you.